Okay, we have a double header Parsha this week. Yes. Okay, we have Parsha. Yes. Are we doing the service of the heart? Yes, you're going to do it on Thursday. No, you're going to do it on Thursday instead of Parsha because I'm not here. Okay, so that is, and for that class, you will need a machzer. We have a, a Rosh Hashanah machzer. We have a bunch underneath those two closed doors. We have a bunch of machzerim over there. There's a bunch of them. Okay? But so t- because I'm not here, so we're going to do Parsha today. Okay? Awesome. So, we have a double header Parsha. We have Nitzavim and Vayelet. It starts from chapter 29, verse 9. Interesting fun fact is that the two Torah portions combined are still the shortest Torah portion in the book. Okay, that's an interesting fun fact. I think there's like about 70 verses in the two Torah portions combined. Um, are they always combined? No, we'll talk about it in a second. Um, so I just want to point out, in case you do like learning, like daily Chumash learning, so if you follow along the Chumash, you'll see that you have the, the first Aliyah, the second Aliyah, the third Aliyah, and at the fourth aliyah, here, where did it go? Nitzavim and Vayela. At the fourth parsha, at the fourth aliyah, it'll say Revi, the fourth aliyah, or Shnei Sheini B'Mechubarim, or it's the second aliyah when they're combined. Okay? Now, you would think that if you're going to combine two Torah portions, it would just be like two, 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 two. Right? Got seven days of learning. Each parsha has seven. We're going to just do two each day. But I don't know how it was decided what gets divided how. But So that's why you just kind of look for where, where the end is for the, for the day. Now, why do we have double Torah portions? Versus, like, why do we have combined Torah portions versus separate Torah portions? So in general, the Zohar tells us that there are gan parshas derai. So there are 53 Torah portions in the Chumash. Um... Now, we're going to get to that in a second, but um, we have 52 weeks in a year, right? So we're already a Torah portion over. Now, what happens if you have a holiday that comes out on Shabbos, like Rosh Hashanah and like Sukkot are going to come out on Shabbos? So we have special readings for the holiday that override the regular Parsha. So... We're going to end up like with a, with a balagan over there, right? So we're going to end up with extra, extra Torah portions. Then add to the, to the chalant a little bit that almost every three years, approximately seven times in 19 years, I don't know what the math is, but it feels like it's every day, right? No, the... the seven times in 19 years. Yeah, okay. It's almost yeah. every it's like two... Random. It's random, right? Random. But that's how the Jewish calendar works. To keep, the, to keep the solar and the lunar calendars combined. So every so seven times in 19 years, we're going to end up with a leap year, which means we're going to have an extra month. That's another four weeks that we need to find Torah portions for. Okay? So, but what happens when it's not a leap year? What happens, what happens if the Chagim all work out in the middle of the, the, the week and there's, it's not a leap year? Like, what are we going to do with all those extra Torah portions? So then we combine. Okay? So there are certain Torah portions that will be combined. So we have Matus and Masi will be combined We'll have Chukas um, uh, There's a bunch of different Torah portions that the rabbis have decided when we need to combine, they will be combined. Now, in the, the one of the oldest, is extinct the real word? Which one? Like existing. Existing. What's not extinct, but. Okay, it's not a word. Okay, but the, okay, so the longest, one of the oldest existing written documents that we have. Is from the times of the Gaonim. It's a sitter from Rapsadia Gaon. Now, we think of a sitter as a prayer book, but sitter really comes from the word lisader, seder, order. Okay, so the sitter of Rapsadia Gaon has like prayers, but it also has like Torah portions, you know, like stuff, Jewish stuff that we need to know. I guess it would be like Wikipedia of the day, right? Like, what does a Jewish person need to know? So here are the prayers, and this is what we say on this day. And he also has the whole listing of all the Torah portions. And in the Siddur of Sadiqon, it actually says that there are, these are the Torah portions that are sometimes combined. And Nitzavim Vayelech, he says, is a single Torah portion that is sometimes split. Okay? So it really is, there is something very, very intrinsically connected between Nitzavim and Vayelech, which we're going to discuss. And what's the interesting, really interesting thing, Nitzavim is always the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah. Now, if either Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur are on Shabbos, 
then Nitzavim and Vayelch are going to get combined because we don't have enough Torah portions before Simchat Torah when we're going to finish the Torah portion. If neither Rosh Hashanah nor Yom Kippur are on Shabbos, then the Torah portions are split. This year Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbos. So therefore, we are combining Nitzavim and Vayelch. But according to Rav Sadiqon, which is very interesting, is that there's something very, very intrinsically connected. It's, he considers it one Torah portion that is sometimes split, which, by the way, when you count the Torah portions, because I said, remember I started, it said that Zohar says there's 53 part Torah portions in the Chumash. If you count how many Torah portions are, there actually are 54. But according to Rav Sadiqon, if Nitzavim and Vayelch are one that sometimes gets split, then there really are only 53. Did that make sense in English? It made sense in my head. Yes. But then why can't you say that about the other? So some are, so the question is, the question is, I think, of connection. Meaning, how is it, you know, what's the difference between two things that I put together? That they have, they're going to have to have some kind of connection. They can't just be, you're not going to randomly, except like if you're a modern food cook, then you're going to put random foods together that don't actually have any connection. You're going to try to convince everybody that they really go together. Right? But if you're going to put something together, there's got to be some kind of reason that they're going to. It's very different than saying, this is one thing that's in two pieces. One thing in two pieces is much more connected and much more, it's like, exactly, it's one thing that is divided as opposed to two things that could go together. Mm-hmm. Got it? So there's a lot of tone portions that we put together. They have a commonality. There's some kind of thread going on over there. We could see how they work together. But they also stand on their own very, very beautifully. As opposed to the Tzavim Vayelach, which they also do stand on their own very beautifully, but they are inherently, according to Rosh one Torah portion that's split. I want to, I'm going to take your comment in a second, but I want to finish one thought. Remember that when they're split, they're in two different years. Because Mitzavim is always before Rosh Hashanah. That means if they're split, Vayelach is going to come out after Rosh Hashanah. So it's not like, oh, it's just so cute, it's next year. No, no, it's actually spiritually a totally different energy from one year to the other. So that's an interesting interesting thing to consider, but not for this year, because you're together. Navi, you had a comment. I saw that Navi came to, like, Sajagon? Yeah. Hebrew or English? Uh, English. Oh, English? All right, Hebrew is fine, too, but... but um, Sajagon? Yeah. Oh, really? I like to write on the board, but I just... It's such a tall board, Gaon. Okay. Rapsadi Gaon. Probably has two A's in it or something. I don't know. Yeah? Rapsadi Gaon, he's from the early Gaon, from the Gaonic period. And he, so it's, it's very, very reputable. Meaning we believe that the closer to Sinai something is, the more weight it has. So this is very weighty. I, maybe I misheard you. I thought you said the Vayelach is always before Rosh Hashanah. No, no, no. Mitzavim is always before Rosh Hashanah. And Vayelach Either it combines with before, or it's going to be after oh. Yom Kippur. Okay. Okay? So before we even go into our Torah portion, I want to look at the two names and say, have you ever seen two names that are more opposite than Nitzavim and Vayela? Okay, what does Nitzavim mean? Standing. Standing. What kind of standing? Still. Right? Not just standing like in still. Your place, like but solid. Like oak tree, Nitzavim is like, I'm here. Right? What's Vayela? I'm going, I'm walking, I'm moving. And so like, where is this intrinsic connection between being solid and going? Like right, that. right? Okay. And, and the truth of the matter is we're gonna see it all through Judaism. We're gonna see it all through everything. So if you say, we don't care, obviously talks about that the, to, that the, to, the world stands on three pillars. Anybody remember from the first chapter of Pirkei What are the three pillars that the world stands on? On Torah, on prayer, and on good deeds, and on mitzvah, right? So take a look at Torah for a second, right? We have the, we have the written Torah. That is Nitzavim. It is the word of God, word by word, doesn't change, da-da-da. And then we have the oral tradition. And the oral tradition is constantly growing and developing and moving as the times change and as new technology comes up. Now you have to be rooted. Your goings need to be rooted in your... I'm so solid, right? You can't just say like, oh, I think like, this would be a sweet medrash like you pull something out of, you know, out of your hat. You need to actually be based in the in learning and what was written before, before we, before you have new innovation. But 
the, the, the bookshelf, the Jewish bookshelf is growing and growing and growing every single day. There's lots of innovation going on in Torah rooted in, in solid, but going. It's moving with us. It's, trans, it's, it's, it's going with us. Um, that's one thing. In prayer, we, know we, have a, we have a prayer book. We even have, the, you know, we talk about prayer, we usually talk about the Amida, right? The Amida is kind of structured, but then it's kind of not, right? Like the beginning and the end are the same, but the middle changes if it's Shabbat or if it's a Chag or if it's Rish Chodesh. Like there's all this stuff going on inside. And we also know that besides prayer book prayer, it's called the service of the heart. So where is my connection? Where is my, where is my prayer where I'm not just saying words in a book, but I'm actually talking to God, I'm having a conversation, I'm, I'm invested in this. We need both of them. We, on the one hand, we do need to have like the space for formal prayer, and a part of it, and one of the reasons that they actually wrote down a lot of the prayers, uh, the, the men of the Great Assembly, was because we forgot how to talk to God. We were like, yo, dude, how do you think? And they're like, oh, no, no, maybe not. Maybe we don't talk to God like that. Right? So there's a, there's a formal way that we talk to God, and yet, and yet there is a way we talk, about, we talk to Hashem like we talk to our parent in a good relationship, you know? We, we say, hey, how's it going? This is what's going on. I really need some help with this. Like that, that personal prayer, that's our vayelach place. We need to have both of that going on. We need to have like the space like we have, like, you know, Amida, we do our like, this is our, our formal prayer. But if we don't marry it to vayelach, to a conversation that we have ongoing with God, then that's not service of the heart. That's just quick reading or not quick reading. You know what I mean? Like, and the same thing with, mitz- with mitzvot. Every single mitzvah is quantifiable. How much? To what degree? When do you have to do it? How do you have to do it? Right? We have lots and lots of books that say, this is how you have to do a mitzvah. And this is what it looks like. And it should, you know, your Esther goes like this. And your, how much tzedakah do you need to give? And everything has. And yet, we all know, like, that's only one part of the mitzvah. That's like, you know what I mean? That's the neat southern part of the mitzvah. Like, I'm solid. I got, like, I ticked all the boxes. I'm good. But is that the total picture of a mitzvah? Or is the other part of the mitzvah, like, where do I put myself into it? And how do, Shabbos is Shabbos. But, like, do I make things that I love to eat and serve for my guests in Shabbos? That's, that's the Vayelach part of the mitzvah. That's the place of, we're not just, you know, sitting around and not doing anything wrong with Shabbos, but we're having beautiful conversations and we're having interactions. That's where we bring ourselves into the mitzvah and every single mitzvah is exactly like that. There's a, you know, this is what the mitzvah requires and then you're going to have the mitzvah as we like sort of spread into it, you know. We're coming, you know, we're coming into the high holiday season in Jerusalem and you will see they actually have near the shuk, they have what's called the Shuk Arbat Haminim. Here's another Shuk where you can buy all the pieces, the, piece, the, the pieces that you need for your little metro. And there's going to be like everything. You know, like you could, this is a kosher one, and this is a kosher one, and this is a kosher one, you know? <laughs> and this is, the, this is the holder for this one, and this is the holder, and this could be the holder. And, and your little and everything is like, so all of those parts are the place that we are invested in the mitzvah. And so when we talk about ourselves, I think it's so, so, so important that we understand that we need both of those. If we're only need Southern, like, I don't move. I am this person. Well, it has advantages, but it also has disadvantages, right? That place of the inflexibility of being solid, but in a, in a, in a positive form, that would be us knowing who we are and what our values are and that we are intrinsically connected to God and what we need to do. That's the need Southern part. But then Vayelach says, where do I I bring myself into the picture? How do I bring my passion, talents, energy, vision into this whole thing? Because there's a reason God created each and every one of us. Not just because, wouldn't it be cool to have like such a diverse looking group of people? But because each and every one of us brings something different to the table and brings it different to the relationship with Hashem. Meaning, we're all going to go and light candles for Shabbos looks the same, but we're all different people. So us doing the same actions is still so, so very different. And if I'm only playing copycat, or if I haven't found my own voice, then I guess, can we say that God's missing out at that point? Like if I, like I'm sort of, 
I'm cheating God if I don't bring myself to the table. Yeah, I'm doing good stuff. So it's better to be doing good stuff than not doing good stuff. Right? Like, don't get me wrong over here. Like, it's better to be doing a mitzvah without being fully invested in it. But wouldn't it be nicer if we could do the mitzvah and be fully invested in it? Like, bring ourselves and our personality to the mitzvah that we do? Wouldn't that be something more special? So that's my first bracha. As we're coming, you know, to this place of the year is almost ending. Our Jewish year is coming to an end, and there's a certain amount of, like, end of year energy, and yet it means it's also the beginning. It's immediately going to ro- roll over it. So I want to give us a blessing that we think about how we want to step out of the old and into the new, and where do we want to be invested in, in ourselves and in our mitzvahs and in our relationship with Hashem, not because they're doing that and it looks so cool on them, but for myself, what do I think it should look like? Again, rooted in, rooted in mitzvah, rooted in, you know, what it's supposed to be and what it looks like and what, you know, we can't, we're not just like saying, oh, ignore halacha, take it as a, you know, a, um, uh, like an opinion, you know, like an option. If you'd like, no, we are saying to, to pay attention to halacha, but at the same time, it's not enough to only pay attention to halacha. That's what that's my, my bracha is that we we be able to that we should be able to bring ourselves into our relationship with Hashem as much as we can. I wish I could say all the time, every single day, every single minute, but that's kind of hard. We're <laughs> 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 gonna be brutally honest. I think it's gonna be a little hard to do that. So yeah, so that's that's where we're going. So we're going into Rosh Hashanah, and we have the, this duality, but in a good way, duality. Of, of being solid, of being firm, of knowing who I am, knowing what I stand for, knowing what my values are, and still being able to grow and to progress and to bring myself into it and to be adaptable to whatever's going on around me. So that's the, just from the name of the Parsha, that's what we have. We're doing great for time. Okay, let's look inside. So we start off. You're all standing today before Hashem, your God. And then it starts to enumerate your heads of tribes, your elders, your your shotrim, uh, your judges, all the Jewish people, your children, your women, your the the, prosel- the proselytes, everybody from your woodchoppers down to your water carriers. And Moshe says, and I'm going to bring you into a, a covenant with Hashem today. And this is where he says, I'm going to make, we're going to establish you as God's nation. Um, and da 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 da. And the other thing, which is very interesting, in verse 13, he says, Moshe's telling the Jewish people, I'm not only making this covenant with you, I'm not, I'm not only doing like the, the, the positive and negative of this covenant, and in verse 14 it says, for, for the people who are standing here today, before God our God, and for the people who are not here today, meaning, Moshe is making a covenant with the Jewish people and is going to be binding on everybody. You can't say, well, I wasn't there, so like that it doesn't count. No, 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 no. It's for everybody. So Rashi brings and says, this is for the generations that are going to be born in the future. The Medrash actually says that, um, that all, the Jewish, all the souls of the Jewish people were at, both at Sinai, which was the first covenant, and here at this time, at the second covenant. And the Zohar says that it also includes the, the, not quite the souls, but the mazel of the souls of the people who would in the future convert. That, that they were there at this covenant as well. Meaning they didn't, the, the souls didn't belong yet to the converts, but the, wherever the source of that soul was going to be was also at this, at this, I was going to say hearing, but that's the wrong word. It's some kind of festival gathering. I don't know exactly what it was. Okay? Uh, Question. How... How does that work if there were only like three million Jews there and we're Because souls don't take up a lot of space. <laughs> What's the question? Um, well, aren't we more Jew- like more Jews today and then than at the time? Right. So, is it like the soul split or? Okay, so it's a good question. I'm not going to get into souls questions with you. I'm going <laughs> to give you a Cliff Notes answer, and the, the Cliff Notes answer is that yes, soul split. Okay. Um, most of us do not have a whole soul. But when we think about a soul splitting, do not think of a pie that is getting little pieces. Imagine a bonfire. Okay? A soul is a fire. More analogous, analogous to 
to fire, right? That means if I start, if there is this massive bonfire and I pull off a spark and I pull off a spark and I pull off a spark and I pull off a spark, nothing has happened to the original bonfire, but the fire has spread. And that's really, when we talk about soul splitting, that's what we're talking about. We're talking Huh? It's like my toast. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like not so good. Is that like something decomposing or something? No, it's so. Oh. Not, they like grow into new ones. It's not like. It's like when you get a cut is... and like the skin grows back because the cells like split and like heal you. Like more cells are coming. But what happens to the original? No, what happens to the original? Oh, it's like mitosis and meiosis. And meiosis. No, 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 you lost me, you lost me. I've been out of high school for a long time. Like, like, like when a baby is growing inside. No, that's meiosis. It's like one cell. Yeah, that's meiosis and yeah. mitosis is how your toes go. So I'll remember. How your toes what? <laughs> okay, we're gonna, all the science geeks afterwards, we can discuss this. But the, the short answer is that yes, Souls split, but they split like fire splits, not like toast. Not like toast. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so that's what's going on. Okay, the seder. Um, okay, how did we get here? Oh, how many people? Are we? Okay, so we're all here. Okay, this it. Souls. Okay, now, um, and if you go back again, we're going to go back to the first pasuk and we're going to read it again. It says, hayom kulchem lokechem." And, um, and in the Medrash, it, it brings proof texts, proof texts, that Hayom means Rosh Hashanah. Okay, because the word Hayom is used in other references to refer to Rosh Hashanah. So it's a hyperlink that says, we are all standing here Rosh Hashanah. And the, one of the reasons that it is always read before Rosh Hashanah is because the place of, and when we talk about Nitzavim, this standing strong, so the measure says it means that you are standing strong in judgment, that you've come through Rosh Hashanah victorious. And the Baal Shem Tev says, to, to like sort of layer it on, he talks about the idea that throughout the year, every time we have the Shabbos before a new month, is called, anybody know? What's the name? Shabbos Mavarchim. The Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh is Shabbos Mavarchim. Rosh Hashanah. That was a little bit fast. One second. Yeah, I'm going to get to you in a second. Shabbos the Shabbos that we bless the new month. So when there's a Rosh Chodesh on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, the Shabbos, any day, it doesn't matter. Shabbos before is Shabbos Mavarchim. We bless the new month. We, we, um, um, it, we, I, I can answer you afterwards. We bless the new month and there's prayers that we say. And in the Hasidic tradition, we also try to say Tehillim, the whole Tehillim on Shabbos Mavarchim. So the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is also Rosh Chodesh, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Rosh Hashanah is also a Rosh Chodesh. Oh, my it God. happens to be the Rosh Chodesh of the whole oh, year. Okay. It's just, it's, it's right, it's Rosh Chodesh of the whole so year. It's like Rosh Chodesh, Shabbat, and Rosh Hashanah. All it always is. Oh, because Shabbat is the only, Rosh Chodesh and Rosh Hashanah is always the same thing. Okay, okay. Rosh Hashanah and Rosh Chodesh is always the same. So but this upcoming Shabbos is Shabbos Mavarachim, but we do not bless the month of Rosh Hashanah. Like, we don't bless the month of Tishrei. And the Baal Shem Tov says that Hashem himself blesses the month, and by Hashem blessing the month of Tishrei, we get the power to bless the other 11 months of the year. Like, where do we little people, kind of little in the scheme of things, how do we get the audacity or the power to bless the month? We are blessing the month. And it's a beautiful blessing that we should have all the goodness and things and health. Da, da, da. Where do you get it? So Baal Shem Tov says, because Hashem does it once a year, and then we sort of take the energy from that blessing and we do it ourselves. And Baal Shem Tov says, how does Hashem bless the month? And he says it's from the Parsha of Parshas Nitzavim. That Parshas Nitzavim is Hashem blessing the month. And what, if you look at the opening Parsha, what is the blessing? Atem nitzavim hayom kulchem. Is, this is my interpretation, I'm reinterpreting it. Is there unity amongst you? You are standing together. When you stand together, that is the blessing. That is a blessing from Hashem. That we will be victorious in our judgment on Rosh Hashanah. That we will come out beautiful with a blessed, beautiful, revealed good year. And that will also give us the ability, that will also give us the ability to continue to bless the whole month, the whole year, every single month, we're going to be blessing the month. 
Um, parenthetic, parenthetically, if it is your custom to say Tehillim on Shabbos Mubarakim, you would be saying Tehillim this month, this week, the Shabbos you would be doing Tehillim again, uh, but we don't actually say the bracha in, we don't, bed, we don't bless the month in Shul. So, is it all the Tehillim or a specific... So in the Hasidic, in, in the Chabad Hasidic custom, and I don't know if it, if it spreads to other people as well, they, do, they try to say the whole Tehillim. Mm. Um, you do not have to, you know, buy this challenge if you don't want to. So um, when we say Tehillim 27 twice a day, correct? then that ends and then we start the whole Tehillim? It or? doesn't end. Tehillim 27 doesn't end until the end of Sukkot. Oh, okay. It's going okay. all the way okay. till the end of Sukkot okay. if you're saying chapter 27 of Tehillim every day. Okay. That's like one of those El Tishrei kind of things. Okay. So that, that goes on till Hashanah Rabbah. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, I want to I want to I want to make a plug for unity, and I want to make make a plug for a specific kind of unity, because if you take a look at the pasuk, it says, it counts, heads of tribes, judges, water carriers. We're not a mush. We're not a melting pot. There's very distinct personalities, and yet, and yet we're all one. And yet we're all one. So that means that in order for us to have true unity, and one could ask, like, what, what, you know, what does true unity look like? Do we all become blobs of nothing, and then we are united? Or, and this is, I think, what the, the, the Torah is telling us, is that we all need to know who we are and what we are and what we're capable of doing. And I want to say, as women, not to be afraid to shine as bright as we are capable of being. Okay, and what, and then not say I'm doing this for myself. You know, you know, whoever dies with the most toys wins. I actually saw a bumper sticker like that. Hmm. Whoever dies with the most toys wins, and I was like, what? What, what kind of car was it on? Though? It was on a motorcycle. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm high, right? <laughs> but 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 if my talents are only to service me then I've lost the plot. But if I really am, and I'm not, and then, and then the other part is like, well, I have no talents. No, no, that's not true. You do have talents. You do have abilities. You do have special qualities. But can I bring that in the service of community? That's a very special thing to have. That's very special to be able to identify who you are, identify what you are, identify what your talent is, what you bring specifically to the table, and then not be afraid to, to actually do that. That's, that's amazing. And if we actually all did that, and we all supported each other, this is my own, I'm on my band, I'm on my, my band box now, my soapbox now. Soap I'm on my soapbox, yeah. right? This metaphor is, <laughs> totally this metaphor, right? I'm on my soapbox. If we, if, how beautiful would the world look if, A, we knew what our talents were, and we were able to support each other as we show in our, own, our talents. Instead of trying to rip the other person down and saying, no, you aren't that good. You can't really do this. I do it better than you. There's room for all of us to really shine. And I think like that, that would be true unity. If we each were able to A, identify what we bring to the world and B, be able to support the people around us as they shine their light as well. It doesn't cost us. It doesn't take away from us. More light is only helpful and more light is only brighter for everybody. So I want to give us a bracha that we look at ourselves with kind, honest eyes and say, what am I capable of doing? And am I doing the best that I can? And if I'm not doing, can I step it up a little bit? Not can I go 75 steps forward, but can I, can I step it up a little bit? Can I, yeah, what, what, what's one thing that I want to do to like really express my light in a, in a really holy manner? So that's, that's what I want to take away from each other. Now, huh, so that's the covenant. And the, Moshe says something a couple of times over these two short Torah portions. I think it was, I think I saw it like three times over, over the, the over the seventy verses. And essentially, what Moshe says is that things are going to start to go good, and uh, you're going to forget about God, and God's not going to be so happy about that. And then He's going to bring you back, and then. <laughs> Um, when things get a little tough, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna come back to God, which I guess, relatable. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, no, for sure relatable, but, but it's always like, it's also like, 
literally, it's like it, it happens a couple of times. And what's very interesting is, I guess, like in the in the place of before Rosh Hashanah, before Rosh Hashanah conversation, there's two things going on. One, Moshe's warning us of the Jewish fatal flaw, is that when things get good, we forget about God. And we're like, we are awesome. We just did so well. We are amazing. And then it's like, smack, come back, you know? <laughs> um, uh, but, so the one thing is like, it's kind of a little bit humbling, I guess, that we haven't quite aced that, that issue yet. It's still something that's an issue. And on the other hand, Moshe does promise that we will come back. Okay? So if you see, if you take a look over here, um, in chapter 29, verse 28, it talks about that the mystery, things that are hidden, is for Hashem to deal with. The things that we know about, we need to deal with. We need to uh, do all the Torah um, we have to do the, we have to, we have to like, we are responsible for stuff that's going on. Uh, we can't just say, well, it's not my problem. It's their issue. And I don't know that we can always do everything. I do want to say that in a, one of the cool things about a technological age is that we do see that one person can really make a difference. I think back in the shtetl, it was harder to see how, like, you know, me little water carrier made a difference in the global picture, but I think we really see it. Like people are able to put out messages of positivity and hope and and, it, and it's very positive and, it's, and it has a very, very, you know, it has a, a far, a more far-reaching effect than either they know or that they could have had, you know, it could have been possible a bunch of years ago. So, so then in the verse, so then chapter 30 opens up that says that, so first of all, we're saying, yes, we are responsible for things that are going on, that's one thing, but also in the 30, in, in chapter 30, it starts talking about that when um, when these things are going to happen, and then you're going to, and then you're going to start thinking, why is all this stuff happening? So then, in verse two, v'shafta Hashem lakecha, you'll return to Hashem, you'll listen to His voice, and do everything that I said, and your children, da da da. V'shav Hashem lakecha eshivuscha, Hashem will return your captives, and He will have mercy on you, and He will come and He will gather you from all the corners of the world where you're scattered, and blah blah blah. And he continues over there, and then if you take a look. In verse 6, it tells us, Umal Hashem Hashem will circumcise your heart, and if and the hearts of your children. If you've been having any classes on Elul, you will recognize that phrase as one of the acronyms of Elul. If you take a look in chapter 30, verse 6, right? Es Levavcha Ve'es Levav in the Hebrew. It's like four words in. You'll have the acronym of that word is Elul. The place of tshuva, that El is a time for us to come back to Hashem. Hashem makes it easier. And one of the things that I want to point out, that in verse 3 where it says, V'sham Hashem lokech, Hashem will return, it's a very personal terminology. It doesn't say he will return, V'heshiv, he will return. It says he, he sort of brings back. And the, and, the, and the commentators talk about the idea that Hashem goes to exile with us. It's not like, oh, he sends us off to exile and you suffer and things are terrible for you. And then when you come back, he'll bring us back. Like, he'll send his helicopter and bring us back, right? No. When we go into exile and we suffer, Hashem's with us. You know, which is, we don't always feel it. We don't always feel it. But I think it's very important for us to know that. Um, I once heard from a, from a, a teacher where she said that in their house, um, there were certain things like the norm, like when the kids wake up in the morning, they come to the kitchen and they wash their hands in the morning and they say bracha and then they have breakfast, da 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 right? And one morning, one of her kids came down and was like, I'm not washing my hands this morning. And the mother's like, well then, okay, but you know, I guess I can't talk to you till you, this was, this was her method, parenting methodology. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about her parenting methodology. There's another thing I wanted to bring up. And she's like, well, okay, so I, I can't talk to you. I can't give you breakfast until you wash your hands. And the kid was sitting in a corner. Thank you, God, for stubborn children because they give us lessons for life. <laughs> was sitting in the corner of the kitchen and refused to wash her hands. And she was just sulking. And she, child, thought to herself, my mother is ignoring me. The mom just went on with her day, doing her thing and like whatever, right? But the woman whose teacher said, I had never been more aware of my child than I was at that time because that was the only place in the room that I wouldn't look. So there are times that we are in Gullus 
and we're in a situation, it's not just we the Jewish people, the global thing, but we personally are in a place and we're like, I feel very alone here. I don't think anybody notices where I am and what I'm doing. I think God has perhaps forgotten about me. And I want to make a plug that it is not how we feel. Meaning we feel it. I'm not, I'm not down in your feelings. I'm validating your feelings. I'm not saying that you don't feel like you feel the way you feel. But I am saying that from the other end, understand that for whatever reason, Hashem is choosing this method of parenting until we decide to come back and we turn. And the second we turn our face one iota towards him, that is the second he will reach out and embrace us. And we're like, oh, he wasn't ignoring me the whole time. Hadassah. Um, so about a month ago, um, there was Parsha's Re'e um, in Devarim, and it starts out by saying, See, I present before you today a blessing and a curse. We have a lot of these. Right? In this, in this, this section, we're going to have a lot of it. Yeah. Right, and then you go into here, and it starts with the same thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. When all these things come upon you with blessing and a curse. So Correct. it's like a common It's a common thread. It's a common thread. I think in Devarim, we have it six different times. Mm. Six different times, which means, I guess we're not so unique when we mess up. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it's no. obviously a message. It's a very, very important, it's a very important message. And what's very interesting, some of the commentators talk about this idea that one of the things that Moshe is very aware of, we know that he said, the next Parshish Vayelach is going to open up, we're going to get there in a second, I promise you, um, that uh, he's, Moshe is about to die. The next Torah portion, Moshe speaks to the people. He says, today I am 120 years old. That means from Vayel to the end is the last day of Moshe's life. Everything that happens, it's going to be the last day of his life. He lives 120 full years. He is born and he passes away on the 7th of, of Adar. It is a full, full cycle. So we're very close to the end of Moshe's life. And Moshe knows something that's very, very important. And, and we'll see it in Vayel that... How do you take, I'm going to say, I'm, like, I'm using not such nice, like kind of crass terminology, right? But follow me and, and don't, don't judge me for what I'm saying. How do you take a movement with a charismatic leader and have it survive the death of the leader? How does Avraham Avinu go from monotheism being the personality of Avraham to being something sustainable for generations? How do we take Torah that is Moshe's, Torah's Moshe? It's the, it's the Torah of Moshe. It is, his personality is wrapped up in Torah. We call him Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our teacher. I mean, he did a lot of things. He spoke to God, he fought Pharaoh, like, well, he did a lot of things. What's the biggest accolade we give him? Moshe Rabbeinu, he's our teacher. Torah is so bound up in the personality of Moshe, and Moshe keeps telling the people, I am going to pass away, I am going to leave, and you're going to forget all of this, and you're going to sin. And how do we make sure that it continues? And he wants to really highlight for the people that it's more than just his personality cult, God forbid. Do you know what I mean? If it's going to survive another generation, if, if it can make it through the next generation, then it can last forever. But it has a very, very real danger that that first generation after Moshe, it's going to implode. It's very possible. And so what Moshe's trying to do, he's forestalling and he's saying, Chevra, this has to go past my lifetime. Things are going to be harder. Things are going to be different. And I'm begging that you not let it end with that space. And we're going to go into Parsha's, I want to see, we're going to get to Parsha Vayelach in a second, but I want to stop for a second in chapter 30, verse 11, because um, today's Chayel, so we can't, uh, we can't uh, skip this, okay? The Torah, we, he's been talking about people doing tshuva, da-da-da, right? Um, so, so, this, so chapter 30, verse 11 says that this kiyam mitzvah hazos, this mitzvah that I've commanded you today, lo he's not far, it's not far away for you, from you, it's not... It's no place, it's like wondrous. It's not like too wondrous from you. It's not far away. It's not in the heaven to say, who's going to go up to heaven to bring it down for us so that we can hear it and we can do it. It's not across the sea for us to say, who's going to cross the sea and bring it to us so that we can listen and we could hear, implying that if it was, we would have to, right? Verse 14. 
Where have we heard this verse? Once, twice, a hundred times. Part of the twelve sukkim. Okay, it's part of the twelve sukkim. Where else have? Where else is it from? Where Where did it come into the twelve sukkim from? From Tanya. I mean, it's from the Medrash, but it's also from Tanya. Tanya opens up with the words that it's 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 so close. It's so close, right? We know the very famous story in the introduction of Tanya that somebody, Rabbi, I think Rabbi Eliezer says that a child once bested him a story in the Gemara that he was set, he was at a, he was going to a town and he met a child at a crossroads and he said to the child, uh, "Which way should I go? How do I get to the city?" And he said, "That's the long short way, and that's the short long way." So he went the short long way, and he. It was, it was indeed a short road to the city, but then when he got to the city, couldn't get in. There was thorns and no, there was no entrance. So he goes back, he's like, why did you tell me to go that way? He said, I told you, it's a short, long way. It's very quick to get there, but you can't actually get in. So then take the long, short way, and then it's a nice paved way, and then you come straight into the city. And, right? and, and in our relationship with Hashem, in our relationship with Hashem, we sometimes think, the short way is going to make it, it's, there's, there's got to be a shortcut. There's got to be a shortcut for us to do it. Like, we, you know, like, where's your life hack? And where's your hyperlink? Like, there's got to be a short way to have a relationship with Hashem. And Tanya comes to tell us, long, short way. You want it to be sustainable. You want it to stick with you. You got to, like, put in the effort. You got to put in the work. You got to, like, take the longer route, and then you'll be able to enter into a relationship with Hashem that's really sustainable and that really is going to last and be something beautiful. This is my interpretation of the Tanya. And today, Chayel, the birthday of the Al Trebe and the Baal Shem Tov, I think it's, it's, uh, it's something to, to, to put in there. Um, so, yeah, so Kikar Velacha we have in Tanya. It's actually in Tanya a few times, but here we have. Okay, so it's actually, I, by the way, I'm such a, I'm such a, like, a, a nerd because I love when I see Pesukah that I recognize. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's in the Torah. Here it is. Get such a kick out of it, which is like, uh, yeah, it's from the Torah, <laughs> <laughs> right? So here is Kikar Velacha, and so there's a whole conversation, by the way, about which mitzvah is it that's so close to us and so easy to do. And in good Jewish tradition, we don't have one answer. Is it the mitzvah of learning Torah, as Rashi says? Is it the mitzvah of tshuva, like some of the other uh, authorities talk about? Is it um, tzedakah? Is it all mitzvahs? Like whatever. But the but the principle I think remains the same. Like. How do we do it, and how do we invest it, and how do we understand at the end of the day, and this is, you know, it's really close to us. It's really close to us. And I think, like, coupled with the beginning, like a few verses before, where it says that Hashem will take the blockage off of our heart, there's part that Hashem helps us with, but there's also part that we need to learn to sensitize ourselves a little bit, you know, like... And I think when we do a little bit, because it's something that's, this is my take on the situation. You absolutely do not have to, you know, buy this. But if we make a little bit of an effort, because because it's so close to us, like when we make the least bit of effort, it, it has ripple effects like majorly. Now, sometimes it's very scary to take that first effort. I, I don't want to make an effort. I want to just say I can't. And I'm going to just sit in my, I can't, because it's easier and it's comfortable and it's familiar. And the, the challenge, I guess, is can we, can we be brave enough to step into something that's really so close to us and something that we know is really going to feed our soul and ourselves in a, in a very great manner? Oh my gosh. No, we're doing fine. No, we're doing fine. Okay, we're crossing over into Parshas Vayelech, our second Torah portion. Chapter 31, motion gap. Yes. Wait, really quick. I, yes. I don't know if you, if you answered the, the question you posed earlier. I just have it in my notes Go. here. Like, how does the Torah upload, like, the teachers or personalities that taught it? Hopefully, oh, getting to it. It's in Vayelech. Okay? So here are partials of Vayelech. Moshe is he gathers all, all he gathers all the people. He says, "I'm 120 years old today. I can't go anymore with you. I can't go." And Hashem says, "I can't cross the Jordan." Um, and he says to them, "To be strong again, not through that. You're, you're going to have fear. And should we choose the good? Blah blah blah." So, um, so then Moshe says to Yeshua, "To be strong and to lead the people. And you're going to go." Um, and Hashem's going to help you fight, and da da da. He writes it all down. Okay, now here's the first thing Moshe's going to give two um, 
the, our last two mitzvahs, mitzvah 612 and 613 are going to come here, and they're very, very much going to be part of this how do we make Judaism uh, transmittable. Okay, so the first thing that Moshe tells everybody is in chapter 31, verse 10, Moshe tells them, at the end of seven years, the year after Shemitah, in the, in the holiday of Sukkot, you should, when everybody comes to see, everybody comes, hakel es ha'am, you should gather all the people, the, the men, the women, the children, and everybody should be here, and everybody should learn and be inspired by the king, um, and the children uh, should come, and they should, they should be inspired, right? Now, Maimonides uh, discusses this mitzvah of hakel, and when Maimonides discusses the mitzvah of hakel, he says it is a reenactment of Sinai. So essentially, every seven years, for anybody who hasn't been hanging around with us for the last, uh, the last year or so, um, uh, Hakel was a mitzvah every seven years, the year after Shemitah. Everybody would come and, like my mom said, it was a reenactment of Sinai. The king would read for you know, inspiring passages, and the so people would just be inspired to be connected to God. Okay, um, I want to add a parenthesis to that, that uh, one of the things that the, the Rebbe spoke about was that the point of Hakel was to inspire and to be inspired, and just because we don't have a Beis HaMikdash anymore, we don't have a temple, we don't have a king, so we can't do the actual Hakel celebration on the Sukkot when you have to, you know, the Sukkot after Shemitah, but we could have gatherings, and the Rebbe created this year of Hakel, which we are actually coming to an end with, now with Rosh Hashanah, the year of Hakel is going to end, and to to make gatherings of inspiration, of inspiring and being inspired, um, and so that's sort of been our one of our themes this last year of gatherings for inspiration, um, and we I personally I enjoyed them so much. We once a month we had like Hakel family dinners in my house, and I'm really thinking that we're gonna we're gonna go like the Hakel 2.0 because like mm-hmm. I'm not quite ready to stop with it, but. Whatever, but it officially ends on Rosh Hashanah. Um, uh, but when Maimonides says it's a reenactment of Sinai, what do we know about Sinai? What do we know about Sinai? Was it an information download? No, no, they didn't get any, no. They did not get any new information at Sinai. All the mitzvahs that they got at Sinai they had already been given in Mara, in different places. They'd already learned all those mitzvahs. So what was Sinai? Maybe. It was like a sensory overload. It was experiential. They had revelation of God. Right? They had, this is who we are, and this is why we're doing it, and this is God, and yalla. Right? They didn't get new information. It was like, oh my gosh, so novel. Keep Shabbos. They already had all the laws of Shabbos, right? There was no new information. But that inspiration, that's what Sinai was. And so Moshe says, if we want this to be transmittable, to maybe take it a little bit, sort of tag it into the, the, our year of Hakel situation, Judaism has to be experiential. It has to be vibrant. It has to be passionate. It can't just be an information download. Like, you know, how many times we say, couldn't you just give me all this information? Like, I'll, I'll just have like a, you know, like an airdrop to my brain. I'll get all the information. That's not, that is Judaism, but that's not Judaism. Judaism is a living, breathing, interactive, I count kind of thing. And if we can do that, Moshe's like, if we could get Hakel, so you know, if I'm going to take, Moshe gives in the midst of Hakel, but I'm saying after we've had this year of Hakel and I've seen how transformative it is, if we can make Judaism passionate, alive, and vibrant, the information will follow and the connection will follow and, the, and perhaps that's what our generation really needs more than anything else. A, they might also need, we might, we might also need some more information, but I feel like we need to encounter Judaism that's alive and vibrant and relevant. And that's really what Sinai was. Sinai was like amazingly, 
sound and light and over, like, in a good way, overwhelming. So that's the first, that's Mitzvah 612 that Moshe gives us. Yes, Sarah? Sorry, I think I'm getting confused. Was Sinai not when we, like, sinned with the altar? That was after. Okay. That was after. Sinai was Hashem comes down on the mountain and says, I am the Lord your God. He sounds a little bit like Charlton Heston. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, right? That was Sinai. After, then Moshe goes up to Hashem okay. and he gets all the details. And in those 40 days, when Moshe was away, now we have a golden calf situation. wasn't so good. Okay. Yeah. But, Sinai, but the Sinai experience was like, you know, the Medrash describes it as parachanish muslim. It, it was like an outer body experience. The people literally, they, they couldn't hold that experience. They, they, they like, you know, they were dying, they died and were resurrected. They like, it was like, just this like amazing, I don't know what it actually was like, but it must have been very scary that, and amazing at the same time. Is that why they sinned? Because they had that experience and they were like, we have to do something with that? It's a longer conversation about why they sinned. And um, the short answer, just like how that soul's doing that split, but the short answer is that, um, a situation that overwhelms us is not grounded. This is my take on, based on what I've learned. Meaning, if they, the, the Jews were so used to miracles, they didn't know how to live normal, and they didn't know how to wait, and timing was an issue, and everything became an issue, but, if, but yeah, but that's the, the short answer. Um, that yes, the long short way is the way we need to do things. Um, and Sinai was definitely an overwhelming experience. Okay, so that's it. The next thing, the last mitzvah that we have over here um, is um, okay, Hashem said, he writes a safe Torah, we're not going to talk. Okay, and chapter 31, verse 19, the last mitzvah of the Torah, mitzvah 613, va'ata kisu Write down this song for yourself. And teach it to the Jewish people. Put it in their mouths so that this song will be an aid. It will be a testimony for the Jewish people that everything's going to happen. Now the next thing that happens, the next Torah portion that we have is a parsha of Hazinu, which is actually written like poetry. You see in Avad Yerchomish, it's written in two columns. That's how it's written in the Sefer Torah. It's actually written like poetry, and that's the song. And Maimonides says you can't write only one part of the Torah. The last mitzvah that we have, Kitzvah Lachem Hashir Azos, is the mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah. Okay, now, one could argue what is the mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah. Um, so we have some opinions that say that um, you, it, you know, that therefore you're like having a Sefer Torah, it's as if you're getting a Torah from Hashem, da da da. A lot of the other commentaries talk about the idea is that you need to write a Sefer Torah because you had, they had no books. They had no books. So if you didn't have a Sefer Torah, you had no way to learn. So everybody, there's an obligation, and here you can in fact quote me. A lot of commentaries talk about that the mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah is to buy Jewish books that you will then learn. So in case you were looking for an excuse to go buy yourself a Jewish book that you want to learn from, this is part of the mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah. One second, I'm going to take your question a second, Zadal. Um, uh, there's a whole conversation. Do you have to write a whole Sefer Torah? Can you get a letter in a Sefer Torah? If you, if you have not yet ever purchased a letter in a Sefer Torah, we can facilitate that for you so that you, in fact, fulfill the commandment of writing a Sefer Torah because a letter will be written on your behalf. Um, so you could do that, and a lot of people do that as well. Uh, but also definitely part of the conversation of why do we need to have a Torah, if we don't know what it is that we need to do, how can we do it? And that's really, I think, a very practical takeaway for us of, of writing a Sefer Torah. We may not all have a Sefer Torah in our house, but we all, can, we all are capable of having a book that's, uh, that we, we go to and we refer back to as Zahava and Sarah. How do they make the jump between the mitzvah being a song and writing a Sefer Torah? Right, so it says like this. It says, So the next, the Parsha Sanzino is a song. It's written as a song. So it says, write down the song and give it to the Jewish people. But the, the sages say you're not allowed to write a part of a Torah. You can't just write pieces, a piece of it. So if you have to write the song, you have to write the whole thing that has the song. The whole thing that has the song is a Sefer Torah. Okay? And then the jump from that to buying a book, we kind of like, we could sort of see that, right? Not just download an app. Not just download an app. I'm going to say, get a book. Wait, but then where does it say that you can't just write one 
it's it's proof text from yeah, it's from it's from it's from, it's from the Gemara that you're not allowed to write just you're not allowed to write the Torah. Um, I forgot the, the expression like pieces and pieces. You're not allowed to write it like that. It's you know you have to put the whole thing. I, I don't even know if a sofer's allowed. I don't know. I'm not gonna say. It. I take that back. I don't know the answer. Sorry. Okay, a letter in the same Torah. So there is, uh, there, there is. First of all, whenever somebody writes a Sefer Torah, very often it's an expensive proposition to write a, a, a Torah scroll. If a community wants to write a Sefer Torah, or if an individual, sometimes somebody will do it for, they often do it for people after they pass away, some people do it during their lifetime, whatever, it's, it's, it's a thing, right? Because there is a thing to write a Sefer Torah. Now it's very expensive to write a Sefer Torah. Um, it's handwritten, it's many hours, it's a lot of expertise. Um, uh, so sometimes a community that wants to write a Sefer Torah will sell off parts of it. So you could buy a Torah portion, you could buy a verse, you could buy a letter, it could be a, a word. One of the, the things that the Rebbe spoke about was that every single person, and every, specifically every single child, should have a letter and a Torah scroll. Okay? And so they just now, um, I know that's not correct English, but I, I don't remember, like in, in the... In the vacation time, they finished the eighth children's Sefer Torah. There are 305,550 letters in a Sefer Torah. I think I got the number right. Um, 305? I, no, 307. Very recently, yeah. Okay, so, so that means if a, each child gets one letter, that's a lot of kids in a, in a Torah scroll. So these Torah scrolls are specifically, you only get one letter. A community that writes it will sell off a verse or a partial or whatever to, to defray the costs. So if you have not yet been part of the writing of a Torah scroll, this is an easy one to, to do. For $1, you can get a letter in Sefer Torah, and you get a certificate that says your, Torah, your letter is in this Torah portion, um, and, it's, and you've then fulfilled the obligation of, uh, technically of only, uh, you know, having part of the Sefer Torah. And at the same time, don't forget to buy yourself a book. Is that, like, is that to show, like, like what's the like, symbolism behind that? Well, so if there, so so the question goes back to how, what is the parameter of the mitzvah of writing a sefer Torah? What is the parameter? So in the Torah it says write a Torah scroll. Now what is what does that mean? Write a Torah scroll. Does it mean write a Torah scroll? Does it mean fix a Torah scroll? Does it mean so that way by having a letter or if you've ever been part of a community Torah scroll, then you are in fact part of the writing of a Torah scroll. So you have fulfilled the obligation to write a Torah scroll because you're part of the writing of a Torah scroll. Um, I will still say, but I think I'm opinion myself, because, but it's a really good thing to buy yourself a Jewish book. In case you're looking for an excuse, this is a good excuse, um, that you have an obligation to write, to, to write a Torah scroll. You need to have to know what to learn. So it's a, it's, it's a you know. No, 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 not a loophole, not a loophole, not a loophole, no loophole. I think it's very, it's very, um, yeah. Because not everyone can write To write a Torah scroll is very, very expensive. I think, I, I, I don't know, and I'm making up these numbers, okay, so don't, you could Google it afterwards and see if I'm right or wrong, but I think like the most basic Sefer Torah, to write a kosher Sefer Torah, is I think $35,000. That's like not chump change. Because so, there's only certain individuals that are approved to write Right. It, you have to know. You have to. It's, it's a lot it's of training. A it's a lot of time. It's like a, it, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a thing. It's you know, it's a real thing. So, do you want to be part of it? So then, so it's not a loophole. So that no. Also, why is it not a loophole? The question is, why do I need a safe Torah? Do I need a safe Torah because I need to have a safe Torah? But if you understand that back in the day, there were no other books. There was no bookshelf of books. There were no, you know. There weren't, there weren't. There was no paper, there was no, exactly, exactly, it was none of this. So then the only way to learn Torah was if you had a Torah. So, so, so that's where the extrapolation comes. That's why it's not a loophole. The question is, what is the point of writing a Sefer Torah? If the point of writing a Sefer Torah is to be connected to God, so buy a letter in a Sefer Torah and you're, you know, whatever. If the point is that you needed to learn, well, most of us are not actually learning out of a Torah scroll. Right? We just don't. We, we currently buy them, we, we have them, we wrap them up and put them in the ark and like, we bring them out for some Torah and for Torah. We're like, we really don't hang about. We're like, oh, let's learn the Torah show. It's like, you know, we don't do that. It's like, it's holy. So that's where the, the get yourself a book situation is. Okay. 
I want, first of all, it's so, it was so much fun doing Parsha on Monday um, because now we, the whole week, this is the energy that we're, that we're living with. We're living with this space of who we are. And remember, I know, I know, I'm finished, I'm finished, I'm finished. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, let me just finish with one bracha. I, I just want to, we're finishing off with, we start with Nitzavim. We can't just be going and going and going. The first thing that we need to know is we need to know who we are and what we are and what we stand for and where we're going. And then we can go. So I want to give us a bracha as we're coming to the end of this year, we're moving into the next year, that we really take a chance that we look at ourselves and we say, who am I? Like I said, look at ourselves with love and with kindness and with honesty and with how, how can I move forward? We're 12 days to Rosh Hashanah. Today's the 18th of El, we're 12 days to Rosh Hashanah. So it's a good time to, if we haven't yet thought about the past year, we got a, a month per day to look forward. Um, and I want to give us a bracha that really any kind of work that we do to make ourselves better should be rippled back to us so many times in goodness, in revealed goodness from Hashem, in brachas, in simcha, in good health, in purpose and meaning and love and light and Torah. And we should only individually and collectively be blessed with a year of goodness and goodness and more goodness. So that way we could be children and still have all the sugar in our lives. Have an awesome rest of the year.